Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. This week, we're going to be talking about being an adult Harry Potter fan and what it means to still like Harry. And we're also going to talk with one of our listeners who's parenting an up-and-coming Harry Potter fan. And that listener is Julia. Hi, Julia. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you. I am thrilled to be here. Awesome. Yeah. Now, you are the mom of Wyatt. I am. Who wrote in a couple weeks ago, and we thought, well, since we want a Harry Potter parent on the show today, why don't we call up Wyatt's mom and see what's up? The famous Wyatt. (laughs) Oh my goodness, that was hysterical, you guys. Your discussion about his question was, it made our day. What was a great question, honestly. It was such a good question. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let's get your fandom ID. All right. My favorite book is Half-Blood Prince. My favorite movie is Sorcerer's Stone. I am a proud Hufflepuff. I don't actually know my Ilvermorny house. Um, and my Patronus is a dolphin. I am so glad you said you don't know your Ilvermorny house because <laughs> I was just reminded this week that they took down the Ilvermorny quiz. <sighs> they did. Is that why you don't know it? Partially, yeah. I think I just never took it when it was still there. Guys, um, guys this is America's like wizarding <laughs> school. We're all in America. You and don't it's wanna, being erased. You don't want to know? <laughs> you don't know? You never wanted to know what it was going to be? I don't know. Maybe I'm just holding out hope for a foreign exchange program. <laughs> <laughs> You're you right. Go to Hogwarts. Yeah. You're right. You're right. We get That's it. I don't know. I feel. I feel a connection to Hogwarts. I don't really feel a connection to Ilmermorny. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, because of the fact that they dropped the test from the site, I'm wondering if we should retire Ilvermorny House from the fandom ID because, <laughs> you know, it's just not fair to any <laughs> listeners like Julia who can't take it. <laughs> anyway, how old were you when you first got into Harry Potter? I'm only a little bit older than you guys. I'm 38. Um, and I was in high school when the books were coming out. So they weren't really on my radar They were being marketed to kids at the time, really. Yeah. So I didn't listen to them until my freshman year of college. And um, I went on a road trip with a friend and we borrowed the audiobooks of the first four books on cassette tape. Nice. Which was awesome. And that was in 2001. Later that fall, got to go see the Sorcerer's Stone movie on opening night with a bunch of friends. And that was a lot of fun. Yeah. And then literally two weeks later, I met my now husband and got him into Harry Potter. Oh, (laughs) nice. What a magical year for you. I know. That's great. It was. It was a very special year. (laughs) Given that it was just the holiday season, I'm curious. I'm just making sure this, you know, that you haven't purchased for Wyatt anything like a a locket, a cup, a diary, or a snake. (laughs) (laughs) No, there's there's very little dark magic happening here. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> okay. I just I wanted to be sure. So we do have a couple news items to mention. Last week we did talk about the chances of a Harry Potter TV series heating up with the appointment of a television exec appointed uh to be in charge of growing the Wizarding World franchise. After we recorded that, we found out from the Hollywood Reporter that a Harry Potter TV series is in the works. Now This has been inevitable, so I can't say that any of us are super surprised by it. And, of course, we've been talking about why it was inevitable for years. Mm -hmm. But The Hollywood Reporter did say that it is going to be live action. I'm very relieved to hear that. (laughs) It is going to be on HBO Max, which, again, not a huge surprise. And WB is currently hearing 
lots of pitches from different writers. So we're in the very early days and we're still years from ever possibly seeing this Harry Potter series on HBO Max. But something is in the works and hopefully in the year ahead, maybe we will hear reports about the ideas that they have, the idea that they have settled on. It's just funny. We always have these conversations and then it feels like either the day before or the right of the day of our release, this news comes out. But, it, it's, uh, it's you, Micah. You get results. <laughs> yeah, it must be, must be. But uh, I, I will just give an update that that executive has still yet to connect with me on LinkedIn. Oh, I'm very wow. disappointed. I haven't even gotten a profile view or anything, but I'm assuming he's pretty busy. <laughs> Micah pays for LinkedIn Ultra, where you can see where yeah. that guy is at any given yeah, time. LinkedIn Premium. premium. Oh my gosh, you sound like an ex who can't get over the relationship. Mm -hmm. To your point, it's not surprising. We've we've talked a little bit about how series like A Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones are doing spinoffs now, though I did read yesterday that they are looking at an animated version of that. So Andrew, an animated version of Harry Potter may not be far off after they do live action. I don't want it. Don't manifest that, please. Yeah, it worked. It worked for Star Trek. They're doing animated. It's everybody's touching it. Yeah, I'm sure at some point there will be animated, but first they got to do live action. And I also feel like they will be seriously considering several ideas for TV shows. And by that, I mean, they might put a couple into development at once because look at what's happening with Game of Thrones and Star Wars and Marvel. They are creating multiple TV series in these fandoms because it keeps people subscribed to these streaming platforms year round if they can keep continue releasing content year round. So um, I I see a, a day for MuggleCast where we will be focused on these TV shows. And like I said last week, recording at 2 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> to discuss what happens. So exciting, exciting. But there is a big question, too, about how involved J.K. Rowling will be. And, you know, there's already a lot of concern about that, as there should be. I doubt she will personally be very involved, but she will be uh, collecting a paycheck from these things in all likelihood. So, um, And by the way, if you haven't already, check out episode 483 of MuggleCast, where we did a deep dive into fan casting a Harry Potter reboot that would air on television. Je also, Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence is still my favorite casting. For Molly Weasley? Yeah, oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. You know what? I'll buy into that now. 2021, New Year, New Me. Oh, thanks. J-Law for Molly. <laughs> also, MuggleNet is reporting that Fantastic Beasts 3 is going to finish filming this week, which honestly surprises me. That but... is surprising, but I have no concept of time. Like, <laughs> Oh, that's true. Since Maybe the that's pandemic. my problem. Because like, you know, we know filming was delayed forever. They were actually, I think, either the day that they were going to start filming or the day after they started filming entirely, like the whole studio shut down. Um, everybody had to quarantine. So finding out that they've managed to record the entire movie, you know, so far, film, film everything they needed to film uh, is surprising. Especially with just appointing Mads Mikkelsen yeah, into the role of Grindelwald. Yeah, I was wondering. Yeah. I was like, Maybe how much is... Grindelwald in this movie. Just a smidge. <laughs> <laughs> I respect the people at MuggleNet, but I don't know if this is entirely true, but we're going to assume it is. And in bonus MuggleCast this week, available on Patreon, we are going to discuss what happens now. When can we expect to hear more info about this movie, trailer, synopsis, uh, and why a 2022 release if they just finished filming? So we'll talk about all that. Patreon.com slash. I mean, MuggleNet said insiders told them. So mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Well, people on the set. Right. Who are these insiders? Reveal yourselves. <laughs> Reveal your sources. You know, at this rate, honestly, we're going to get the title of the movie on Monday, and we're going to have to do a whole new episode. <laughs> oh, darn. So let's move to our main discussion today, being an adult and still liking Harry Potter and facing people who uh, might wonder why we still like Harry Potter as adults. And this is going to be kind of a two-part discussion. We're going to talk about, like I just said, being an adult Harry Potter fan and what that means, especially when people uh, question it, and parenting future Harry Potter fans. Eric, one of the reasons we wanted to talk about this today is Harry Potter has always been marketed as a series for children. Yeah, it's it's. there's really been a push against any overall industry effort to get adults to read these books. The, yeah, I've known plenty of adults that have found the messages very relevant. Um, you know, and anyone can enjoy the kind of storytelling and the richness of the world. But it just seems that there have has, there's always been this push to keep Harry Potter firmly in the box of kids stuff. For as long as Harry Potter's been in existence, that's there's been this wide assumption that the books are only for kids, and then that puts adults like us in difficult positions. Right, exactly because the oh, because of this push, because uh, Harry Potter is always listed. You know, you always have to walk to the children's section, and you're there with like <laughs> yeah. Franklin the Turtle and Clifford the Big Red Dog, and you kind of feel like right. even as a teen, when I would like go check out, you know, Borders's Harry Potter section. Um, you know, I'd be a little bit nervous about <laughs> kids running around my ankle sticks. To me. Right. And the kids section is always, you know, separated from the rest of the bookstore. You have to go through like a magic wall that they set up to like, you know, <laughs> you have to walk under an well, arc. Right, because when the- Harry Potter was out in bookstores, there wasn't even like a young adult section in, in many times. Like Harry Potter, you know, we'll probably touch on this because like Harry Potter really changed everything, including bookstore layouts. But uh, but yeah, absolutely. You had to go through the magic wall with the 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 train that was going around the store uh, with people. Right. Well, yeah. And don't interrupt story time that's going on in the little circle with all the kids. I know you got. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, I can't imagine what it would have been like for somebody who was already an adult when Harry Potter was huge. We have some evidence of the publishers being aware of this issue. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But first, I wanted to ask, have any of us here ever faced like some backlash for being an adult Harry Potter fan? Not not when we were kids, right? but as an adult. So, you know, in the past like decade. Not really, honestly. And I, I kind of credit that to the change in our culture. It's cool to be a nerd now. <laughs> it didn't used to be. You know, it didn't used to be cool to be super into fandom, and now it is. Mm -hmm. I agree. I face this less now than I did as a kid. I agree. Absolutely. Um, The the culture has definitely shifted, and um, nerd culture is is part of mainstream now. It definitely didn't used to be, Yeah, especially when the books were first coming out. Yeah. Yeah. Because as kids, we couldn't necessarily be open about being a Harry Potter mm-hmm. fan. I certainly was not open about being a part of a Harry Potter podcast. And then when my <laughs> TV tech teacher exposed me, it was like the worst day of my life. It was like I was out of this gay or something. It was, it was that bad. Just, just, just nobody was making fun of me. I was just so embarrassed that my secret had been revealed. Well, and I was originally, oh. it, it felt weird to be me because I was originally like also thinking the books were like cheesy and for children. And then when I started liking them, I was like, well, 
clearly I was wrong. <laughs> yeah. And for me, I, I mean, Julie and I are the, are the same age. And so, I mean, I've always been an adult Harry Potter fan. So hopefully I can bring, you know, the kind of that perspective. But I, I agree with what Laura and Julia both said. It's as an adult, it it's actually you find more engaging conversation goes on with people when you say, number one, that you do a podcast because the first thing people are say, oh, well, what is it about? Can I download it? Can I listen to it? Like they're very excited to learn about it. And I think once you add in Harry Potter, the first question you always get is, oh, well, what do you guys talk about? And, <laughs> yeah. you know, that just spurs more conversation. And, and I think, yeah, fandom has become so much a part of our culture now where it wasn't before and just the rise of other series that we've seen kind of take off post Harry Potter. I would credit Potter with that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The inmates have taken over the asylum. You guys, I think you all are right. I still think there are people out there though, who question why Harry Potter, why adults would like Harry Potter because maybe they just have always known it to be a children's series. I don't have any specific examples myself of like being made fun of or anything like that, but I, I definitely know of some people who yeah. would question it, but they just suck. So yeah, I, I think that's part of it, right? Like as an adult, you get to make the choice about who you want to surround yourself with, right? Like when you're a kid, that's not always the case. So I feel like as adults, we've made a very conscious choice to surround ourselves with people who don't make it a habit to crap all over the things that other people like. Great point. And while th- this is not directly backlash, a common question I've gotten over the years is, you're still doing MuggleCast? Yeah. <laughs> I actually hate, fans. I hate this question. I hate this question so much. Why? Why? It makes me have to question why I'm still doing this show. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, no. I mean, no, I, I get such joy out of it, which is why. But right. no, it, it seems to suppose that Harry Potter's over and died. And we know from doing this show, that's just not true i've definitely gotten the question what do you guys talk about (laughs) i was like have you read these books i mean it's an incredibly rich source material there you can have endless conversations about it and and i don't think people realize sometimes how involved the fandom still is and how alive it still is so there's still a good bit for us to riff on that's for sure and Mike is right. Usually when people ask, what do you talk about? Like, it is this air of they're genuinely interested. Um, mm-hmm. Like, it, it it does foster a sort of a good conversation. But, like, we wouldn't get that question if we said we started a Marvel podcast in 2008. Uh, <laughs> or, or when did Iron Man come out? 2010? Something like that. Somewhere so, in there. Yeah. you know, we wouldn't we wouldn't get the, you know, those kinds of questions. I, I will say, though, too, for adults, I, I maybe this is a presumption and and. A, not uh, necessarily totally true in all cases, but I think that adults have more of an awareness about the conversation at hand. And so if, you know, maybe a kid would start kind of going down the road of making fun of you for it, an adult has a little bit more awareness that they're going to try and shift the conversation a little bit and and get to know a little bit more about, okay, well, why are you doing this? Did you grow up reading the series? Like things like that. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but it's just something that came to mind. Yeah. Mm. To Eric, your point about um, the Marvel, like if we started a Marvel podcast, nobody would be asking that. But I I think that's because there's still so much new content happening there, Where, whereas in a lot of people's minds, Harry Potter ended in 
2007 or 2011, 2012. And of course, Fantastic Beasts is still going on, but it's just not as big. It's not as important to the core story as all of these Marvel movies and now TV shows are. You know, yeah. but but I hope we get back to a point where there's new, a lot of new Harry Potter content and everybody's happy with it. And, and MuggleCast to even outsiders feels super relevant. I will say in recent history as an adult Harry Potter fan, I've not felt the need to defend my position in the fandom except for to offer people a disclaimer that I... <laughs> vigorously disagree with jk rowling <laughs> so like uh-huh. usually what'll happen is people i had it happen recently actually where like a friend of a friend found out about muggle cast because she was randomly like in a zoom happy hour call and another friend was in there and they realized they knew me <laughs> and my one friend was like oh do you know that she does this harry potter podcast and so she messages me and was like hey i didn't know you did this and i was like oh yeah um, but also, I, J.K. Rowling is um, very wrong, <laughs> and she was like, "Okay, yeah, agreed." So I feel like I have to, I have to clear the air on that issue anytime somebody asks me about it because I'm like, "Oh my god." That's a good point because if fellow adults who are more active and, and care about that, like they want to make sure that we're you know politically aligned with them, uh, and I would be too. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. And I would just add to, I, I think there's something about the fact that when you're having these conversations, you can say, well, we started this when we were you know, in our teens or early 20s, and we've done it for 15 years. There's a longevity to it. And it, it's become a, a business too. And, and I think when you have that conversation with adults, that resonates with them, right? And yeah. I think it can go either way, right? But I, to Laura's point earlier, I don't feel the need to sort of defend my position. I just say, look, I host a Harry Potter podcast and go on from there. And most of the time, the people that you're talking to have read the books themselves. So it does spur additional conversation. And maybe you pick up a listener or two. Yeah. One of our listeners listening over on Patreon right now, Savannah, she said, I made fun of all the time for liking Harry Potter. Still, they are lame people. We agree, Savannah. Yeah, for real. We agree. To heck with them. Banish banish them. You know, Push them through the veil. The time I felt... <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. That's, that's murder, dude. Yeah. Um, no, it's not. It's just putting them in some weird space that we don't know anything about yet. You're right. right. You're right. You're right. Seriously, yeah, like, I'm just alive. putting them in a pocket dimension they can't yeah. come back from. It's okay. It's a timeout. Sirius Black is going to come back at some point, <laughs> I'm convinced. <laughs> well, the only... I will say, the one time I actually really felt made fun of as an adult for being a Harry Potter fan was when that big news broke about uh, Zoomers uh, or Gen Z, the next generation out. Gen Z. Gen Z were calling millennials out for like, oh, Karen, like a Hufflepuff isn't a personality, Karen. Oh, Uh, yeah. You know, kind kind of like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, you're you're 32 and you still talk about uh, Hogwarts and and the students there. Yeah, I, I wish we remembered the tweet. It was a pretty good one. Oh, yeah. No, it was like millennials will like fight for their Hogwarts house, but they can't afford their own housing. Something like that. (laughs) And I've never felt simultaneously more seen and more angry at being called out. You know what? I love it. And just side note, I think Gen Z is great. Roast us, please. Oh, Oh, yeah. It's it's funny to read. (laughs) They are the future. I think I want to embrace the younger generation being 
the future much more than previous generations embraced us. Yeah. Yep. So like I mentioned a few minutes ago, the Harry Potter book publishers were aware that adults might feel uncomfortable reading the Harry Potter books with the original covers because they did look like books for kids. Mm-hmm. And when you're reading on the beach, in the subway, you know, in the park, adults might want different covers. So what did they do, Eric? So I found this is one of three like primary sources I found that I'd love to talk about on the show. But you know those adult edition UK Harry Potter books that that I believe we've all become familiar with over the years. Yeah, I have them. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, very simplistic design. I think Philosopher's Stone is just the red Philosopher's Stone on the front of it. Um, book six in particular is like just the locket. Um, and it's like very dark, very like, you know, sort of covert. These are the adult edition covers. I found out that the ones we know and love of the adult edition covers, all seven of them, uh, they only switched to that style in 2001. But as of 1998, actually, so as early as 1998, when between the first and second book in the UK, they actually had another set and they actually released four adult editions um, that were also, Hmm. but it was a similar situation. It's kind of like a smoky cover, you know, like there's, it's usually focused on one element, like there'll be a dragon on it, but very, very different than the UK children's edition, which is, you know, Harry in front of the train looking quizzical. Um, And those covers are very colorful. I would argue more colorful than the U.S. ones. Mm-hmm. It is interesting. They never did adult editions in the U.S., did they? I don't know why it didn't catch on, especially because like Scholastic, they would have liked the money, I guess. Like it just would have right. been another opportunity. Because seeing as how the reason I base that claim is Scholastic has completely redone the Harry Potter book covers about 17 times since oh, 2007. So many times. Yeah. So they're not above money grabs. So yeah. I'm surprised too. I guess they realized that... <laughs> releasing only a certain cover wasn't going to impact sales they didn't lose out on any readers just because they didn't release any adult editions of course you can all always just take off the cover if you're buying the hardback too so maybe that's what they were thinking as well i'm trying to remember too if there's anything else besides the cover specifically that are unique about the adult editions from the uk i no candidly have not opened the set. I have a, a set of all seven and it's unopened and I don't plan on opening it anytime soon. But Okay, so you bought it just to collect. You weren't yeah, hiding exactly. from people on the subway. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> no, no. I, <laughs> I was not hiding from people. Not for that reason. I wasn't hiding from people on the subway. But <laughs> I do think it's an interesting marketing technique though that uh, Bloomsbury came up with. And it is, to your point, also interesting that they never went down that road really in the US. They stuck with Mary Grand Prix and, and her illustrations for uh, the US editions. But uh, mm-hmm. clearly there was a concern. So further talking about sort of the industry shift and, and the them putting Harry in the children's box, do you guys remember back in uh, the late 90s, early 2000s, Harry Potter was obviously becoming the global phenomenon that it is now and it was just topping the new york times book review bestseller list like constantly something like 57 or no 79 weeks uh i think was the record um so the new york times (laughs) tired of seeing the four harry what was then the four harry potter books uh coming out 
on the top of the list all the time, actually created a New York Times book review children's list. So Harry mm. Potter was still topping the list, but they moved it to the children's list so that other books, you know, and I, the, there's a lot of good uh, sort of comments I got quote. I was quotes. I was reading about why that was a good thing. Um, apparently some publishers were advocating for such a move because the cluster of children's books at the top of the adult list could keep deserving adult books off the list. But yeah, the editor of the book review said the time has come when we need to clear some room. And it's because this children's rather than embracing the children's book, that's like, a really good world building story for all ages. They're like, you know what? All the, these books are getting in the way. They're not giving adult books their due. We're going to create a separate list. It's like actual market manipulation. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I feel like I can speak to that after the last few days, you know, living Robin on this Hood. planet. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just moving the goalposts, right? And like mm-hmm. we, as we've established here on this show, there are plenty of adult themes in the Harry Potter books. And, you know, I think for people who maybe aren't super familiar with the stories, they just hear Harry Potter and they think of it as being synonymous with, oh, that's a children's story. And I actually think, especially as the book goes on, that's not always the correct categorization. Mm-hmm. Would you call, Laura, the later books books for adults or not children's books? They're kind of multifaceted, right? Like one of the things that I always admired about the Harry Potter books is that they don't infantilize children. Right. Um, sometimes there can be this infuriating uh, tendency towards treating children like they can't understand um, darker, more adult concepts. And I think that is... Uh, bogus. <laughs> but maybe mm. Julia might have some other thoughts on that topic. So I don't know. I think that, you know, I get for categorization purposes, they have to stick Harry Potter somewhere. But sometimes I feel like constantly trying to create like children's spaces to shoehorn it into mm. isn't necessarily the most accurate way to depict what the books are about. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that they really transcend categories, especially the last four, or I'm sorry, the last three books, they definitely get a whole lot darker after Goblet of Fire. Yeah. I mean, especially after you read, like if you read the whole series and then go back to one or two, you're like, wow, there is nothing happening here compared to what happens in the later books. (laughs) The upside of creating this children's bestseller list is that it probably featured a lot of children's books that would never have been featured otherwise. True. So... At least there was that. Yeah, and I'm quite comfortable with the series being nestled under young adult, even if it's not. Yeah, I don't think it's like just naming it something else like, oh, I feel more comfy that it's not being called children when I'm not a children. But I mean, the heroes are 17 years of age at the end. So Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a that's a big deal. It's like the same age as the characters and young adult has come to be much more widely respected as also meaning angsty, intelligent, relevant, you know, sort of these are the lessons you will need as a young adult when you go into the larger world. And I think I think Harry Potter actually fits quite comfortably under young adult lists. Well, I just hope that the record extended. So if they were on 
the New York uh, Times bestseller list for however many weeks, and yeah. then they move to children. They don't lose the record just because they made that shift. Right. They have so many different categories now, though. Like, I'm looking. They have a best-selling children's picture book section mm. and middle-grade hardcover section and then young adult hardcover, which is probably where Harry Potter would maybe go now. Mm. Um, so they've really... They've added a bunch of categories over the past couple decades. Um, mm, and yet, as we sense. talk about all this, you know, Harry Potter's for kids or, or, or Harry Potter's for adults. It's for adults, too. They just always market it to children still. And I think that's one of the most frustrating parts about this. It's bad marketing, honestly. And, and here's why. Because most of the fans are not kids anymore, right? And I understand appealing to a new generation. But if you want to appeal to the the, the core base of fans... You need to look at people in their 20s and their 30s. Right, right. I always go back to the theme parks. Whenever you see commercials for the theme parks, it's nothing but kids. Oh. And I also think back to when they opened the first theme park in 2010. There was this grand opening moment, and Dan Radcliffe walks into the park surrounded by children. And, you know, I'm there like, I'm excited too. <laughs> Can I be excited, please? They just leaned so hard into that. And, Maybe they're starting Grow up, to... Andrew. What? Grow, Grow up. up? Yeah, I know. Right? Grow up. Go to Disney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, that's another thing that's hotly debated all the time. I mean, Disney park fans are adults and yet always marketed towards children. And then you always hear those comments from adults like, all these millennials are obsessed with Disney. Grow up. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I think they are starting to come around to marketing more to people like us. I'm thinking like the Wizarding World online store. I see photos of adults like us. Uh. And or you think about like Hot Topic or Box Lunch. You know, we're talking about how being a nerd is cool. They really lean into marketing to adults. But yeah, it's it's been a long time coming and we'll see what they do in the years ahead. I'm not holding out hope though because Yeah. I mean, I guess on the other hand, these kids are the next generation, so they want to market to them so they can have them hooked in for the next 30 years. We, we, talked, yeah. we talked about this on a recent episode, but the Wizarding World theme park's a great place to go to get a beer. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and the secret and, menu. And this, oh, yeah. And the, uh, the Long Island that's on the secret menu in the Hogshead. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, there's definitely these are adult spaces. And if you are an adult, if you grew up with the books, you are an adult now. And, um, you can enjoy these places too. So that's a good point. But my favorite, uh, my favorite source that I found when researching like Harry Potter as a children's book, what's the pressure like? I found this 2003 article in the Telegraph called I Worry for Harry's Adult Readers. And it was published like the day after, the weekend after uh, Harry Potter 5 came out in the UK. And it's by this guy called Stephen Pollard. Again, in the Telegraph, and here's two choice quotes from this article. The number of adults reading Harry Potter for themselves should hardly be surprising, given the infantilization of our culture. It's this whole article complaining about how so-called adults are embracing more and more children's literature. <laughs> he says, regression into childhood is the defining characteristic of modern culture. Computer games pop music, loudishness, and fast food are all part of the same phenomenon, <laughs> behaving as a child, but in the body of an adult. 
and fast food. That's my favorite part. I know. Oh, yeah. That's just kind of like, and why don't you throw in the picket fence? I mean, you know, just be like, what? Kitchen yeah. sink, just anything. What a bummer for this dude. <laughs> He's dude never had any fun in his sucks. adult wanted, yeah, life. What does he do for fun? He, he talks about, in the article, he talks about going to see The Lion King on Broadway and hating it, but being surrounded by the people oh who... God. I know, I know, but being surrounded by all these people who love it. And he's just like, this is childish. This is crazy. So yeah, this is like the most outspoken voice that could possibly exist. But yet something touches me. This whole thing about behaving as a child in the body of an adult. I hate Mm -hmm. to say it, but I still feel, you know, at some times 17 years old, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I think I think that we have. Like this was written 17 years ago, you guys. Like I, yeah. I, I, I feel like he was on to something only in that it was occurring and not necessarily, I don't share at all his negative opinion of it. These things are designed for people of all ages and they make us happy. They, they give us an escape. They help us unwind at the end of the day. You know, it's like this this kind of viewpoint is so silly and like was said a couple minutes ago i i worry for people like this who can't enjoy pop music yeah. or well, fast I'm like, food i'm like have you never felt nostalgia for anything right like, that's really sad if not mm-hmm. here's uh here's another paragraph i found from this guy steven i managed to avoid the first lord of the rings film the critical reception to the second however was so overwhelmingly positive variations on the theme of quote a stunning cinematic achievement that curiosity and the accusation that you can't criticize it unless you've seen it got the better of me after an hour of elves monsters and hilarious ham acting hardly surprising giving the drivel the actors had to work with i walked out <laughs> it was a children's <laughs> film shot for and marketed at adults so there's his uh, <laughs> there's his uh, accusation that they were sneaking in or secretly marketing things that were children's things for adults so this guy probably definitely supported um the opposite like the the adult covers and stuff yeah oh this guy God. sounds like a riot let's invite him <laughs> to our next party sounds like a ton of fun for sure i assume he's people on bonus read, muggle cast i assume people read the telegraph yeah we'll put him on an on yeah a, it's a big on, publication it, on an episode with laura mallory yeah stop after the first five words because i think those are the most important which are the number of adults reading. And that's something that he doesn't... I, I Actually, I'm not going to say that because I haven't read the full Telegraph article, but I'm right. presuming it's not something that he touches on. And Harry Potter was... And yes, we've mentioned this many times on the show, a once-in-a-lifetime phenomenon. Yeah. It's it being grouped in, and, and we can have other conversations about computer games and pop music, etc. But Harry Potter captured the globe and it encouraged not just kids but adults to read and i think the fact that that's being omitted from what he's writing here is a big issue mm-hmm. yeah. i mean seeing as how the telegraph was so big this is just one more bit of proof that there was probably immense pressure for adults to closet themselves at the time yeah so we did go on twitter and we wanted stories from adults like us and everybody was actually pretty positive we didn't hear any horrific stories about people being made fun of or anything for liking harry potter as an adult 
uh, Mother of Hedgehogs, that's a fun name, said, I read them before my kids did, and we went to every midnight release from Order of the Phoenix to Deathly Hallows. I wish I could relive those days, and many of the adults in my life were also reading them, so no worries there. Carla said, I was over 30 when I first read the Harry Potter books. I got immersed in a wonderful, well-constructed, magical world of good versus evil. Yep, I stood beside excited children to get the books, the first at the movie theater. I even spent my 40th at Harry Potter Wizarding World Universal. Nice, yeah. I have to say, if I was an adult when the Harry Potter books were released, I probably would have felt a little awkward being surrounded by a lot of kids at a midnight release party. Not that it would be wrong to be there, but it would just feel a little awkward. Pre-order it, Andrew, right to your door. Yeah, but going uh, to a a party was was Have a house party. I don't know. I mean, I remember going to midnight release parties and like at least one of my parents would be there with us. I feel like a lot of kids were there with their parents. So it's not as though you would be in a 100% child-filled environment. I don't know. Julia, did you ever get to do any like midnight release parties for the movies or the books? I went to the midnight release of Sorcerer's Stone movie and the midnight release of Order of the Phoenix um, book release. Um, And I, I, gosh, I feel like it was a good mix of of people of all ages. And there were adults that were there without children. I don't remember being overwhelmed by little kids. I'm trying to remember if my parents stayed with us during the midnight release. I don't think they did. They like dropped us off for one of the books and then like picked us up at 1230 or something like that. Probably went to the pub next door. (laughs) Yeah. See, like My mom usually came with us because she was just as excited as we were. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so your mom read Harry Potter? Oh, yeah. Yeah, my yeah, parents she was, haven't. She was super into it and was like reading the books alongside us. And Nice. Like, yeah. Cool mom. Yeah, she is. Fencing Librarian on Twitter says, I was 37 when book five was published. I couldn't stand not being in on this global phenomenon. There, she gets it. Yeah, that's while, a big thing. Yeah. While my twin daughters napped, I read, never had I experienced such an immersive, fantastical world Immediately, I purchased books one through four, and I am still a fan. FOMO's real. FOMO was definitely a, yep. a motivating factor for that. Yeah. Um, and then TWJ on Twitter says, I was 33, recently married. Hubby was 43. We watched the first movie to see what the controversy was all controversy was all about <laughs> and loved the film. My former high school English teacher, Sister Helen, recommended the books, and I borrowed the first three from her. Man, getting Harry Potter books from your old nun teacher. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. That's a shocker. Yeah. Blast. Maybe it shouldn't be. That's what makes me think that our uh, our good friend Stephen Pollard is actually a huge Harry Potter fan. <laughs> <laughs> Email him. Connect with him on LinkedIn. I wonder if he still writes for the Telegraph. Kristen had a powerful story. She said, I was 29 years old trying to connect with my eight-year-old son after the sudden death of my fiance. I was numb, not coping, and failing to connect with my son. I picked up book one and hoped reading to him would be an easy way to spend time together with the words already there for me. All I had to do was read aloud. I was a shell of myself and not the mother my boy needed. Slowly, we were taken out of our world of grief and transported by magic. We learned to cope with our collective loss and found comfort in knowing the ones who love us never really leave us. I was reminded that my love for my son would be his strength 
And so over the course of a couple months, we finished the books, not knowing all the while we were processing our grief and living again. That's really sweet, Kristen. Yeah, that's a beautiful story. Let's talk about parenting a child and and introducing them to Harry Potter. I have a big question here because I have two (laughs) nephews now. They're still very young, too young for Harry Potter, three and about one year old. When is the right time to introduce them to Harry Potter? And Julia, let's start with you. (laughs) When did you introduce Wyatt? And I know you have a daughter, too, who's younger. I do. Um, Zoe is eight. And I hope that I'm not a disappointment as far as a parent guest. Oh my gosh. Stop. Because we didn't have we didn't have like any hard and fast rules for introducing Harry Potter. And I have I know of other parents who have had rules like um, you know, waiting for a certain age or um not watching the movies until after they've read the books, which I I appreciate that rule. I didn't think of it in time <laughs> to enact that rule myself. But um, we didn't really have a specific age. You know, part of it is because we're fans. We we didn't want to deny ourselves the joy of watching the movies when our kids were still little. Mm-hmm. So they had some exposure to, especially the first couple of movies when um, when they were young. But I think that that helps because it it gives them kind of an introduction and and a curiosity um, yeah. to the characters and the storyline. We like to listen to audiobooks. Okay. Um, and the great thing about audiobooks is that you don't have to worry about the reading ability level of the kid. They can read something above their uh, grade level. Yeah. I think that Wyatt probably was maybe six or seven when he first listened to Sorcerer's Stone. But the funny thing about kids is that they love to listen to the same thing or watch the same shows over and over and over again. So they like literally he listened to the first book for over a year every single night oh my gosh (laughs) and so it takes a while to get through it because it's like okay it's been two weeks starting with chapter one do you think maybe we can start with chapter two now (laughs) oh man he's gonna know the books better than any of us yeah (laughs) (laughs) he is 12 now and he he's read the first four books for sure i can't remember if he's read uh order of the phoenix yet or not so he hasn't gotten all the way through the series but has seen all the movies most of the movies i okay. don't think he's seen deathly hallows okay i was going to ask specifically about books five through seven the later movies because i know of parents that are or have said to to us even like you know we've read the first four that's totally fine but they wait a couple years they they want really want to make sure their kids are old enough for the source material so he's definitely seen movies five and six this wasn't any kind of conscious choice that he hasn't read those books yet. This is just his own pacing. Yeah. I love that. I think for sure, I think he's ready for it. And he it's fun because he knows he knows what to expect later. But there are things that aren't explained in the movies that he's caught up, you know, picked up on. And we don't we won't explain those things to him. Oh, sorry, you'll just have to read the book. Yeah, <laughs> right. Great. So it helps, you know, it keeps him interested. And same goes for Zoe too. Um, she finally let me put on Chamber of Secrets for her to listen to at night after listening to the first book for, I don't know, well over a year. I love <laughs> nice. every night. Yeah. I love that you're letting them move at their own pace. I get a little confused sometimes when I hear about like hard and fast rules. Like I can understand if you're a really big fan, if you want to decide that 
you know, the kids need to read the books before they see the movies. That's fine. But like, I was raised in a similar household, it sounds like, in terms of like, what you were allowed to read, where my parents were sort of like, hey, if she's old enough to read it and understand it, then it's fine. Absolutely. Yeah, not to harp on about audiobooks, but that's the great thing is that, yeah. um, you know, you're not restricted to your grade level reading. If the interest is there, then go for it. Yeah, my my friend, my friend Angela uh, is putting the audio. She actually just had her first child uh, 14 days ago. But even in the womb, just, you know, having audiobooks on was a big thing for her. She's like, we're introduced. We're, we're, we're starting him when he's when he's young. He's in utero and he's going to listen zero. to zero. Yeah. I, I I did I did ask for clarification. It is the Jim Dale audiobooks, but I mean, you're talking about versus you know Stephen Fry, which I probably think of as being more authentic. But yeah, I mean, you're talking about audiobooks in the womb. Like this kid's gonna be a massive Harry Potter fan one day. <laughs> nice, is, right? That's is awesome. Julia is Harry Potter still a popular book for kids to read? Like, is it discussed amongst parents? Because obviously, it's it's what twenty years old now at this point. So I just wonder if people think about it for their kids, or is it just kind of like an old book? No, I mean, gosh, <laughs> I I think so, especially among parents who have read it before. I, I don't really have a finger on Wyatt's group of friends as to whether um, they've read the books or are into it. But um, like his band teacher in middle school has Harry Potter stuff all over the band room and you know, kids are definitely aware of it. So it's it's really thanks to all the adults who grew up reading it that kids are. I currently kind of reading think it. so. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see though how how it pans out over like the next century. Maybe people will be listening to MuggleCast when they have nowhere else to turn, <laughs> and we're all dead. But um, hopefully, MuggleCast is still available for people to listen to. So, final question for you, Julia, about this. Okay. The books have a lot of good messages, of course. Are there any bad messages that you're like? Eh, know if I want Wyatt thinking much about that. I think that there are examples of like behavior that maybe isn't great. Like when when thinking of Harry as a role model, like yes, he's absolutely brave and super resilient, but he's also kind of very stubborn. And um his whole, you know, I'm gonna do it myself or um I'm gonna suffer through this myself is, you know, maybe not something that is a great message for kids to think about, but right. you know, luckily for Harry, his friends are just as stubborn as he is. And, and, you know, no, Harry, don't be dumb. We're going to go with you. Yeah. Um, I guess it also kind so, of becomes a problem when like somebody's listening to this book with stubborn Harry over and over and over again for a year. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I actually, I'd like, there was a TV show. I'm not going to say which that I binged is it was like six or seven seasons. And, this person, this lead character in the TV series was was an egotistical butt face. And <laughs> I felt like I kind of became that person after <laughs> binging six, seven seasons of this show. And I eventually broke out of it. But I can completely understand this potentially happening to kids who might read Harry Potter and, and experience stubborn Harry for an extended period of time. Or want to get into witchcraft and... You know, start casting spells on other kids. <laughs> well, right? yeah. well that, I'm just I'm joking because of Laura Mallory, but <laughs> the, the, I, I do think though there's something about letting kids read the book for themselves just at face value, and then 
you know, if they do read it again or as they get older, kind of like what we're doing with the show, then you can reflect back on things that maybe are a little bit more adult in nature and and maybe that you didn't pick up on the first few times that you read the series. I think overall, the the positive messages outweigh the negative messages. They might be things that kids might not pick up on the first time through or or even adults might not pick up on the first time through until really critically thinking about the about the books. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I would imagine that it opens up room for conversation, right? Like obviously if a really dark theme were to come up, it gives you room to discuss that with whoever is reading it, quite frankly, not just, you know, a child, but like you can do to Micah's point what we've done here on the show and talk about things that haven't necessarily aged well, per se, or things that, you know, in retrospect, like when we were reading it as children, we didn't think too much about it. But now it jumps out at us a lot more. And I think that it just, you know, for children, it helps them develop those critical thinking skills. For sure. Yeah. To wrap up today's discussion, I wanted to play a bit of a game with you all. I want to prepare our listeners for any situations they might face as an adult Harry Potter fan. And this segment I'm going to call Troll in the Dungeon, and it is inspired by uh, Harry Potter actress Ivana Lynch, who plays Luna. She does. She has a podcast called The Chick Peeps, and it's a veganism and sustainability podcast. And they do a Troll in the Dungeon, vegan Troll in the Dungeon segment where uh, they pretend that they are facing vegan trolls. So you all are going to face some Harry Potter trolls now. And uh, Eric, I have one especially for you. Oh, but gosh. Micah, Laura, and Julia, feel free to we take on. We need to get you these... music for this, though. By the way, I don't think we need music, and you'll find out why. Um, oh, all right. So <laughs> here's the first troll. This is this is a person named Cletus. And when you answer, please address the person as Cletus. Okay. okay, I'm, okay. I'm not in the room. All right. I think Harry Potter's clearly for kiddies. All you see are kids on the cover, and when they open that Harry Potter world down in Orlando. All I saw was that Dan Ratcliffe walking around with the kids. In fact, whenever I see ads for anything Harry Potter, I'm just seeing kids in the ads. So clearly it's not for you. So grow up, Micah. Well, Cletus, thank you so much for uh, calling into the show. Really uh, respect what you have to say, but but have to disagree. I can't help but wonder, Laura, do you know this person? Do they live? Um, Why would Laura know this person? Not everybody in the South sounds like this, Micah. In fact, most people in the South don't Don't. sound like that. (laughs) So why is Harry Potter for adults? I would say that, uh, you know, we were all children once. And even though we are no longer kids, uh, we'd like Harry Potter because it reminds us what it was like to be a child. It was what it's like to, you ever feel like the world is wide and you'd never quite understand it and you ever feel overwhelmed the harry potter books really capture that but in a fantasy way and they have a lot of humor and adventure i think it's a joyful joyous romp between three best friends as kids confronting the challenges of their day and i think that's something that we could all relate to yourself included that was wonderful eric and i would just add too, cletus i think that Uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone would be a great first book for you to read. (laughs) Wow. Oh, my. Ay, ay, ay. Wow. I I would ask Cletus, um, are you a fan of Marvel movies or DC movies? Yeah, they're all right. Yeah. So 
actually, I think this is really great common ground for us to start out on. There was a time not so long ago where you would have been ridiculed for liking those things because it wasn't commonplace for adults to be, for adults in the mainstream to like comic book movies. Mm. And people would have made fun of you for that. So what you're doing right now is kind of the same thing. Okay, well said. Uh, Cletus has left the room. Uh, <laughs> Cletus, by the way, was the name of my character in The Sims Online when I was obsessed oh with God. playing that game. <laughs> Cletus Putum. He wasn't country, though. It was very strange. I don't know why I named him that. Um, all right. So the next person joining us is Alexis. You're like still a Harry Potter fan. Didn't you read those books like 20 years ago or whatever, Laura? That's literally forever ago. Why don't you move on to other things? Uh, what what things have you moved on to? <laughs> uh, I love the Real Housewives and like Jersey Shore. All of these things are still new and fresh, but Harry Potter's like forever ago. Well, I don't know if you could call the themes of those shows new and fresh. They've basically been recycling the same content for two decades now. At least with Harry Potter, there's a deeper message and interpretation that can happen. You know, a good Harry Potter book is like a good cup of coffee from Starbucks, everlasting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I really All have right. no more to add than that. <laughs> and this last one is uh, for you, Eric. This is Herman. Hey there, Sean. I, I see you're wearing what looks like uh, a blanket or like a, a backwards apron. Or what is that? Is that a, is that a cloak? Why are you wearing a cloak? Do you? Do you think you're a wizard? Because I have some news for you, son. You're not a wizard, and don't you get hot in that thing when you go down to Orlando? <laughs> why do you Why do you dress up as a Harry Potter character? Well, sir, I I find it to be uh, an excellent way dressing up. Uh, you know, in this outfit is an excellent way for me to channel parts of myself that I wouldn't ordinarily express, um, and. I do it because it entertains people, first and foremost, myself. It's just some play. It's just some fun. And I never made it into, uh, you know, any kind of professional theater group. So I I like to try sort of a practice on my own. A little bit of flair for the dramatic. I see. I see. Thank you okay. for asking. That was it. <laughs> no, we we need to introduce him to Elvis Dumbledore. I think he would oh, really enjoy. Yeah, that, there's there's a rock star from his age. Yeah. Now there's an Elvis Dumbledore. I can't keep up. There's too much going on these days. Well, sir, I will get your grandchild to send you the YouTube. Then go link. back to sleep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, you really put yourself out there for this segment. I love this. This was Thanks. wonderful. You know that last one actually reminded me of a real world example. When we were at uh, one of the Harry Potter conventions, I think it was Portis in Dallas, we were actually sharing our hotel with another convention. And so it was, and like the, I'm not going to get into what they were there for, but we were worlds apart. We'll just say that. Jesus. Um, you can just say Jesus. It was a Jesus con. Yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And at one point I was in an elevator and this guy was like, looking at me for a while and then he finally he finally was like are you guys witches <laughs> and i i just are you looked, all witches i just looked at him like stone cold and was like yes 
And it's situations like that why I brought Herman onto the podcast, because I think a lot of people see, you know, let's say in Texas, where that convention was, outsiders see people dressed up in cloaks and whatnot, and they're like, what the hell is going on with that? get-ups you see on young people these days. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, cosplay is a big thing in in this fandom and many others. and Yeah. So Herman just wanted to know more about it, but I think I, that I was a very open I, and honest answer, Eric. When I thank you, when I first started dressing as a at, at the time a Gryffindor, uh, I actually didn't know and wasn't trying to do cosplay, um, but actually seeing cosplay be so embraced to the level it it is it's leaps and bounds above anything I'll ever do. You know, there's people who like turn into transformers and have armor, and they make their own armor, and they use PVC pipes to have extendable wings, like. You know, it's really just it's the new um, way of showcasing some serious technological prowess and talent and but creative expression. The goal inside that I that I sort of hinted at is the same. You're bringing out parts of yourself that you don't always get to do. And it's a wonderful time. Right. I still give Eric a lot of credit for wearing those cloaks in Orlando Mm -hmm. in the dead of summer. Like. Man, <laughs> well, that because mine was like full on, uh, like twill cotton twill. It's like a heavy cotton. But now, yeah. when you go to the park, they sell like the the robes they sell are super lightweight. They're like oh, almost okay. almost jersey knit. But know? it's not authentic. Then time to upgrade. Now that's not an upgrade. That's yeah. not an upgrade. No. My my cloak could actually survive northern Scotland weather in the right. Winter. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> there you go. I I just can't wait for. Uh... Cletus to meet Southern Hagrid. <laughs> uh, I don't even know who Hagrid is, but I guess I'll find out when I read that stone book you mentioned. All right. Well, if anybody has any feedback today about our discussion, about being an adult Harry Potter fan, about parenting a child and introducing them to Harry Potter, write in mugglecast at gmail.com. You can email that address or you can send a voice memo there using your phone, or you can call one nine two zero three muggle That's one nine two zero three six eight four four five three. We also have the contact form on MuggleCast.com. No matter how you get in touch with us, we do read or listen to your message. And we can't get back to all of them, but we try to get back to as many as possible. And we really appreciate reading all of your feedback. It's super helpful and inspiring, honestly, because when we do this podcast, we're not hearing from you in real time unless you're in our patron live chat. So we love getting the feedback throughout the week. It's time for Quizzage. What is Albus Dumbledore's favorite flavor of jam? And the correct answer. Now, this is his this is his secret. Make sure he's not an imposter question. He tells Harry the answer to this raspberry jam. He would. Yeah, he would. I'm actually surprised. Raspberry's like tame for Dumbledore. You would expect <laughs> almost like a flavor, like a double flavor com- combination or something. <laughs> but Lance Dance, who submitted this, uh, oh, the correct answer to is over on Twitter, among with others, added this gif that's like somebody with a martini glass shouting raspberries. It's a blonde woman. I don't know what this is from. And she's holding like champagne. But anyway, now I think that raspberry is perfectly Dumbledore because I saw this gif. Um, <laughs> anyways, correct answers were submitted also by Ali Frega, Time Traveling Unicorn, Chelsea B, Katie Jane, Ginny, Robbie, Tori, Grace. Uh, Thunderboom, Chilaria, Billy, Hollow Wolf, Zoom, Tarot, 
Growler, Stephanie, Darren, Caleb, and Deb. I guess I asked an easy one this week, you guys. Yeah, a lot of answers. That's good, though. Thrilled by the participation. Next week's question. What statue resides next to the prefect's bathroom? Submit your answer to us over on Twitter at ReplyMuggleCast. Use hashtag Quizich. Please do not post mail us answers to Quizich. Please do not email us. Please do not, you know, <laughs> find me on other various social media. Don't LinkedIn me with answers. It's strictly a Twitter game. Peace and love. No. Peace and You're not love. Being very flexible. Ringo said a few years ago on video, please do not send me mail anymore. I can't take it. Peace and love. Peace and love. This is Eric's peace and love. Tweets only. Peace and love. Peace and love. <laughs> I'm gonna start playing that every time. You oh my say god! That. I, you know that would be a good clip. I a good clip. I can hear Ringo saying that. We would also appreciate if you took a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to MuggleCast if they have a review system. Thank you very much in advance. Also, follow us on social media. We're MuggleCast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And coming up on our Patreon this week, we'll have a new bonus MuggleCast about Fantastic Beasts 3 finishing filming, and we would really appreciate your support as well. You know, we're about to hit 500 episodes, and it's only because of our patrons that we are hitting 500 episodes when we are. When we launched the Patreon, the goal was to return to doing MuggleCast episodes on a regular basis. At first, we said, Uh, If we hit this goal, we'll do an episode every other week. If we hit this goal, we'll do an episode weekly again. And we did hit that goal pretty quickly. And thanks again. Thanks to our patrons. We are hitting episode 500 of MuggleCast next week. What an incredible milestone. Wow. Julia, you're one of the people who supports us out on Patreon. Thank you very much. And thanks for joining us today. Thank you, guys. This has been an absolute treat. Great. I know you were very excited to join us, and we were very (laughs) excited to have you on the show and uh, give our love to Wyatt as well. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. I'm Laura. And I'm Julia. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.